Thank you, Neil. Thank you for telling them what they've won. He's an excitable boy, isn't he? I love that. Good morning, church. Also, one other quick announcement. Uh, while there's no midweek boost uh, this coming week, on Friday, Encounter still meets. Uh, we're going we're gonna to learn about the prayer. We're going to learn how to pray the prayer of Jabez. We're going to learn. So come on Friday. Uh, it's going to be a good, good night as well, too. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for all that you're doing, not only in our church, but in every church that uh, lifts up the name of Jesus Christ. Pray that, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. And I, I just pray that you would resurrect dead things today. I, I just pray that uh, we would come running out of that grave into your glorious light. And we would throw off the grave clothes. And we'd walk in the freedom that you died for. Because if we don't walk in that freedom, we're living underneath our privilege as a child of the one true king. Teach us your word. Teach us what freedom is. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, perspective is, is something odd. It's hard to talk about. You, you could all be sitting in this service and you could leave here. Uh, with a different perspective, and that's just how it goes. You could all be looking at the same thing and just see it differently somehow as you see it up there. Some of you got it right away. Some of you, it's taken you a while to figure out what that is, and I would be in that second camp as well too. So uh, one sees a boat, one sees land. Both are pretty excited, and, and that's what perspective does for you. But, I, but wisdom is always seeing things from God's perspective. And when it comes to the mystery of prayer, and prayer is a mystery, it'll take us a hundred lifetimes to truly discover all that God wants to do through the power of prayer. He's given us this gift of prayer. It's important to have proper perspective, to lay a good foundation so that we know that when we pray, we can have the confidence that when we pray, God is hearing us, and we know that our prayers can be more powerful and effective because the Bible teaches us that our prayers can be that way. And so I want to lay a quick foundation. For instance, Jesus said in John 14:6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now listen, that's a, that's a salvation principle. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's a lot of people say, yeah, when I, when I die, I believe I'm going to heaven. And I would say, on what merit? Well, most would say, what? I think I'm pretty good. Well, that's, that's not a good reason. See, you see, all roads don't lead to heaven, but everything has to go through Jesus. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he says, it's, it's, not, it's not in it, it's me. It's not something, it's not religion, it's not what you can do, it's what I've done for you. And when you accept what I've done for you and you enter into a personal relationship with me and trust me to forgive you of your sins, to become your sin, to defeat your sin and declare you as righteousness and to write your name in heaven's book never to be erased, that's when you get to inherit heaven, when you trust in Jesus Christ. But it's not only a salvation principle, it's a prayer principle as well too. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No prayers get to the Father except through me. 
Jesus is interceding for us. He's praying for us. And he says, if you want your prayers to get to my father, he says, they've got to go through me. In other words, it has to be established through me. Now listen, God hears a prayer of desperation, a prayer of reaching out to him. If we don't know him, say, God, if you're alive, if, if you're real, reveal yourself to us. He, he does that. But for us who have accepted Jesus Christ, if we really want to have the confidence that when we pray, that we can pray more effectively, that we can have our prayers answered, we need to have all that established. In 1 John 5, 13 through 15, here, here you see the two principles of salvation as well as prayer joined together as well. When he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So what he's saying is, is that belief, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, just like we sang about, believe, the word believe in the Bible goes more than just I believe. A lot of people believe in Jesus Christ, but to believe means to trust, to surrender, to submit. I obey. I, you know, I totally commit my life to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to really believe and, that's, and he says, I write these things to you so that you believe in the name of the Son of God, so, so that when you trust in what Jesus has done for you, not what you can do, you can have eternal life. And then he says this, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. And I want to say, wow, what a great prayer promise. What an incredible promise that we, that we can pray. If we approach God and ask anything according to his will, he hears us. A lot of us pray and we wonder, God, do you hear me? Well, according to this scripture, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, if we're praying something in his will, we know we have. So not only when we get saved, we get prayer privileges, but we get, we get prayer access. We can have confidence in going to the throne room. What a promise. I tell you, how many of you would like to know that you can have your prayers heard when they line up with the will of the Father? Anybody here today? All of us. And backed up with the full authority of the king and his kingdom. So we do that by establishing two things. And I, I want to challenge you to establish these things in your life. One is I live a radical, obedient life, obeying God's commands out of gratitude. See, that's the key word, gratitude, for what Jesus has done for me as my way of demonstrating to Jesus that I love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And we do the good things we do not to get saved. We do the good things we do because we are saved. We do the good works because it's our way of demonstrating to God, our way of loving him, and we do that out of gratitude, and when we do that, it's by grace filled with the Holy Spirit, backed up by the Holy Spirit, with the full backing of heaven and, and the kingdom. You see, if we do it out of obligation, if we obey God because we're supposed to, see, that's religion. That's not a relationship. That's the law, and you can never measure up to the law. And along with that comes guilt and condemnation and all that, all that negative stuff. And you'll never have the confidence that you need to if you're doing things out of obligation as opposed to gratitude. So you live that obedient life 
Obeying God's commands out of gratitude. Andrew Murray said it this way. Believer, abide in Christ. For there is the school of prayer. Mighty, effectual, answer-bringing prayer. Abide in him. In other words, obey him. Do what God tells you to do. And he says, and you shall learn what to so many is a mystery. That the secret to the prayer of faith is the life of faith. The life that abides in Christ alone. Two, I develop a radical prayer life with the goal of having the most intimate relationship with my Father in heaven who loves me more than I could ever imagine. So listen, the goal of prayer is to grow your relationship with your Father. And Jesus says again, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father. So prayer gives us access to the Father. You see, The object of prayer is not to get a hold of the answers. The object is to get a hold of God. And the more we get a hold of God and we pursue God more than the answers, now the answers are important, but we can do both. See, that's the difference between seeking God's face and seeking his hand. Some just want to seek his hand, but not his face. But when we seek both, his hand, his hand is the blessing of God. His face is the presence of God. That's relationship. That's intimacy. And that's the purpose of prayer, to grow your relationship with your Father. You see, when I'm in Christ, in other words, when my heart and motives are totally sold out for the King and his kingdom, and I live this radical life for Jesus, separated from the world, loving the Father, loving Jesus, embracing the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, living in the word and the word gets into me, I get into the word and God speaks to me through his word. It's amazing how that will take your prayer life to a next level. And then I trust and believe in scriptures like 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes, in Christ. In other words, if I'm in Christ, if I'm in relationship in Christ, I'm doing what Christ wants me to do. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of of God. How many people would like to pray with confidence and say, all my prayers are yes and amen in Christ because I know I'm praying the will of the Father. And I just want to thank you. Even I don't see an answer. Even I don't see the manifestation. I'm just going to praise you. I'm going to thank you because you are a good, good father and you're a prayer answering God. And I want to thank you today for your faithfulness. You can pray with that confidence and you can just wait on God. You know, there's, there's the beauty in the waiting. The beauty in just being in in God's presence. And so I have to spend, I want to challenge you to spend the rest of your life discovering the wonder and the mystery of prayer. And it really, again, it's a mystery. You can live a hundred million lifetimes and never discover all that there is to learn about prayer. Now to do that, I have to let the following scriptures define my life, like Colossians 4, 2, which says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, and thankful. You know, we, we live in an age where we're devoted to a lot of things, but few of us are devoted to prayer. You see, we have to pray the price, and if we don't pray the price, you're going to pay the price of what the world will, will throw at you, what the devil will throw at you, what yourself will throw at you, and it's hard, and we have to pray the price. We, ha- we have to work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on God. And that's what it means to pray the price. And we have to live our lives. And when you have confidence in your prayer life and you work on your prayer life and you take your prayer life to the next level, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, rejoice always. 
Another translation says, be joyful always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In other words, if, if, if the Bible says it's the will of God for you, it's a good idea to do it. And so it says, be joyful always. Rejoice always. Pray. Never stop praying. You know, the opposite of that is to complain always. Never pray and be bitter in all circumstances. I know Christians like that. For this is the will of the devil for you. And the devil will do everything in his power to keep you from praying. And I would say he's quite successful in doing so. You know, there's a reason why over 1,500 pastors quit the ministry a month. Because of prayerlessness. The state of prayerlessness. See, most people are consumed with saying instead of praying. And more people are concerned with watching what the world is doing instead of waiting and watching what heaven is doing. I have found myself doing this and keeping an eye on what's happening around the world. There's a lot of stuff going on around the world, right? I have found, and when I do that, when I get consumed with watching what's going on in the world, the more I do that, the less I pray. And whenever my prayer life slows down, guess what? Peace, power, and favor seem harder to experience. And then I find myself out of tune with what's going on in the kingdom. And I lose a kingdom focus. I lose kingdom wisdom, kingdom thinking, because I'm now operating as a citizen of this world and not as a citizen of heaven, not as a kingdom representative. But I want to remind you today, this is not your home. This is a temporary place. We're not citizens of this world. Sure, you may be a citizen of the United States, but if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ, a citizen of heaven, a kingdom representative with kingdom authority and kingdom power and prayer privileges that your prayers can reach the king at any point and any time in your life. I'm not of, we are not of this world, but we are called to change this world. We are called to bind and loose. That's another principle of praying. Now, I can tell you story and story after God, you know, how God has answered prayers in my life, in Carolyn's life. God's a prayer answering God. But I promised Steve that I would get you out before Easter. Actually, I am going to share one, one short story. And by the way, I want to welcome all of our viewers uh, that are watching online. Welcome uh, to COS, if we haven't said so yet. Uh, this morning. In 2002, I think it was, that's a long time ago, it's hard to remember things back then, my daughter came up to me and, and said, Dad, you have a reputation for getting front row seats at concerts, because uh, I used to go to concerts a lot before I got saved, and, and my daughter was about 15 or 16 at the time, and her best friend uh, loved this guy named Dave Matthews. And is when he was, on, he was at the top of his game, and she goes, can we do Christmas in New York and go see Dave Matthews at Madison Square Garden? And can you get tickets? Because you have a way of getting really good seats at concerts. And the Peter in me said, absolutely, we'll go to New York City, and I'll get you great seats to go see Dave Matthews. I had no idea how, how big this guy was. And so I, I call up all my connections in New York. I used to work in the hotel business. I call everybody up. I say, hey, can you get me tickets to, to the show? Nobody had tickets. I said, well, go up anyway. I'll just go to the garden, Madison Square Garden, and I'll look around and, you know, get them on the street. And, I, and so we got there. I didn't even go the first night. He played two nights. I just went the, the last night. 
and uh, no tickets at all. And I get there early, about three o'clock, and I realize that they're selling tickets on the street from anywhere from three to $5,000 a ticket. For Dave, man, this guy was, uh, man, who's worth three to $5,000? This is crazy. Uh, you know, I don't, have that, I don't have that type of money. And I'm talking to people, I'm making phone calls. I get on a canceled ticket line. I get on the canceled ticket line. I'm talking to a guy the whole time because they said the night before about 100 or so people got in with canceled tickets. And I'm on this line. It's not moving at all, at all. And about six or seven o'clock, about maybe between six or seven, my daughter and her friend, Carolyn, was there. She wasn't going to go to the show. Um, they joined me. And I, I just realized there's no tickets. So I just turned around, and I, I, I looked up to the sky, and I prayed to God. I said, Lord, this is what, exactly what I prayed. I said, Lord, I know this concert's not going to glorify you one bit. But I promised my girl and her friend I'd get her tickets to this show. And if I don't pray to you for these tickets, I'm not going to get tickets to this show. And while I'm praying, I know you don't give out junk. So I might as well pray for the best seats in the house so God, thank you for getting me tickets for this show. And I, you know, I, I know, noticed that I pray that God, that he wouldn't be glorified, the show wouldn't glorify him, but I prayed a, a prayer that God would be glorified by getting us tickets. I didn't say those exact words, but that's what I meant. And about every 10 minutes, I just looked up and just said a prayer. I said, thank you, Lord, for getting me those tickets. You're a good God. You're a good God. Seven o'clock, eight o'clock rolls around, no tickets. He's supposed to come on about 8.30. 8.30 rolls around, no tickets. My, my daughter's friend turns around in tears and says this. We're not going to get in, are we? And then my daughter turns around. Looked like a tear, and a tear came out of her eye. And she goes, Dad, are we going to get in? And the Peter in me said this. Honey, we'll be in in 10 minutes. And I turned around and said, Lord, thank you for getting me those tickets. You're a good God. Just like that. And a guy that I was talking to the whole night turned around and he says, I know you drove up from Lexington. I'll be back in a few minutes. I'm not going to let you let your daughters, your daughter and her friend down. Comes back about 15 minutes later. Comes back and, and he says, listen, I got three tickets for you. He goes, I, one ticket is all the way in the back all the way upstairs in the back somewhere, and two tickets, I have no idea where they are. I've never seen these tickets before. Do you want them? And he sold them to me at a really, really good price. And uh, so we went in, it's close to nine o'clock, and uh, it's a miracle. And so I get in there, and we, I couldn't find these two tickets where they were. I couldn't find out where, where, where the seats were. I looked all around, no one knew where these seats were. Finally, I go like where the stage is, there was a police officer there. I said, do you know where these where these seats are, because I can't find them. The police officer says, you see that sort of booth on the stage? Those are special seats that were built on the stage. Uh, they're right there, so just go on stage and go sit in that booth. So we go sit, like right where this you know, piano organ, right where this piano is, and uh, there were three empty seats. I put the two of them in their seats. Okay, I get them cherry Coke and Twizzlers, Skittles, and all this stuff, everyone's get, doing other things at the show, and uh, and and it was so crazy. And I, I went back to the police officer because my ticket was in the back, and I said, "Sir, I said, see those girls? They're, they're my girls. Could you keep an eye on them for me?" And he said, 
He said, you go sit with them. And if anybody says anything, you have them come to me. That's exactly what he said. So I sit down, we sit down, and the moment we sit down, Dave Matthews comes out on stage, walks right by us, came and did a show. James Brown comes out at the end and jams with, James, jams with Dave Matthews. But my daughter's friend looked at me and said, how'd you do that? <laughs> she wasn't a Christian. I said, I prayed to the God of heaven, my Savior, Jesus Christ, to get us tickets for that show. And he came through once again. Because God's good. I know. My wife hates when I tell that story. I just had to. I just had to. Listen. And when you live like that, I can tell you miracle prayers, how we've been healed, how people got saved. When you pray like that, heaven's going to seem so close. And your prayers are going to be so powerful. And for every answer that is yes and amen to God be the glory, here's what we should do. We should, just like I do, I record every answer prayer as a reminder. I put them in the memory bank. I write them down. I put them in a book too. And you know why I do that? Because Praise reports are important because God's faithfulness needs to be remembered. And you need to remember a time when God rescued you for the next storm that you're going to go into. Because there will be another storm. There will be another trial. There will be another test. There will be another fire. And it's going to seem like heaven's going to be so far away. It's going to seem like he's not listening. But he is because he never leaves us, never forsakes us. And if we have to go into the fire, he goes with us. But we'll come out not smelling of smoke. But we need to be reminded of his faithfulness. God, you came through for me before. You answered my prayers before. I need you now. We need that. We need to remember that. But I just want to tell you today, just so I'm being transparent, my prayer experience is not always like a UK basketball recruit, one and done, then off to the NBA, to greater things. My prayer requests get delayed. Some go without answers for years. Some are not yet. Some get adjusted. Some take a little bit more than praying. Some take prayer and fasting. Some prayers take a little bit more intensity. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much, right? Some of my prayers take crying out. Some of my prayers are like garden prayers where I'm praising God like I was this morning, driving through the back roads, through the horse farms from Versailles, all the way to Nicholsville, thanking God for the beauty. Even when we lived out in Colorado, you live out in Colorado, you see the mountains, you'll thank God for his creation. But some of my prayers are not garden prayers like that. Some of my prayers are garden of Gethsemane prayers, where they're agonizing prayers, where I'm just crying out, Lord, take this. Could you take this from me? But if you don't, nonetheless, thy will be done. Your will be done. Some of my prayers need to reflect my trust in the king and his kingdom, no matter how my prayers get answered. But trying to figure out how God answers prayers, why some prayers get answered right away, why some prayers get delayed, why some prayers take years before they get answered, why does God heal someone, why he doesn't heal another person. You know, I've had people, you know, people say the craziest things. 
I had to do a wonderful celebration of life service yesterday for a dear, dear friend. But I've had people approach someone saying, you know, they would have lived if you had faith. People do that. What about prayers that go up into bowls? What's the story with that? That's what I've been praying this past year. God tipped the bowls in our favor. We learned that our prayers go up into bowls. What are the answers to all these mysteries? How do our prayers get answered? Why do they get answered in the way, when, how, why? Why does God let some people suffer? Why does God answer right away? Do you want to know the answer? Are you ready? Write this down. I don't know. I know what Proverbs says. Proverbs 3, lean not on your own understanding, but trust and acknowledge him in all your ways, and he'll direct your path. I know what Isaiah says. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our ways. They're so much higher. They're so much better. We can, again, when it comes to prayer and figuring out God, we could spend 100 lifetimes. But I know this. I know this. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to Carol, when it comes to Pastor Steve, when it comes to our staff, we are going down swinging. We're praying for the fences. Because here's what I've learned. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. And it's not like my batting average is better than someone else's. But I know he hears me. But here's the tricky part. Here's Here's where it gets really tricky for a lot of us. Here's where praying and trusting God and his word gets gets somehow convoluted. Did you ever pray something and you know it was, you just knew it was his will. You just knew that God was going to answer that prayer. And for some reason, God didn't. Or didn't come through when you wanted him to. Did you feel like God said no? And because of that, you gave up praying? Did you pray for someone for a long period of time? And then you just gave up? Me too. Well, if we believe that what we know, what we ask, why does God seem to be so distant at times when we pray and make us wait, wait before our prayers get answered? Don't like the waiting. Listen, I grew up in New York. I grew up in New York City. Everything is fast paced. Most of you that know me, know me. I don't like to wait. I'm not fond of waiting. I don't, I don't like traffic jams. I don't like grocery lines. I don't like 15 line item grocery lines with a person in front of me that has 25 items. I don't like that. It bothers me. I don't like a slow computer. I don't like waiting in a line for a cup of coffee that's gonna make me more anxious. (laughs) I I, I don't like waiting on Richmond Road, trying to turn left onto New Circle Road and the green arrow turns green and there's one car in front of me that sits through an entire light cycle on the phone. It bothers me. (laughs) Who has ever gone to the restroom, washed their hands and there's no paper towels but there's that magical air dryer in there, who has waited a full cycle where your hands are completely dry? I have never done that. Has anyone done that? If you have done that, wait for me at the end of the service. I'm going to use the restroom, wash my hands, and shake your hand. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm sorry. 
I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to, to pray that way. And when I don't get the answers I want, I get frustrated at times. And guess what? You know what happens when that happens? I miss out on what God wants to do and what he wants to teach me. And when Jesus taught us how to pray, there was a common theme in his teachings on prayer, whether it be the friend at midnight, whether it be the Canaanite woman, whether it be the, the, the widow with the unjust judge, that he just doesn't answer prayers right away. Now, he's always teaching us to pray with faith, and he loves when we pray with faith, but it's the fact that our prayers just don't get answered, and the answers don't come right away. Now, there's some of you, you're into the whole, you know, kneel it, reel it, you know, yoke it, choke it, name it, claim it stuff. You know, that stuff doesn't work all the time. It does for a lot of people. Good for you. And because a lot of us, God makes us wait because he's doing something in the waiting, many of us miss it. Well, I want us to look at a familiar story in Luke 10. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Luke 10, verse 38. We're going to start. We're going to look at the familiar story of Martha and Mary. Turn your Bibles there. Thank you for bringing your Bibles. The scriptures will be also be up on the screens as well, too. Now, I apologize. It's hard for me to say an R, car, bar, all that stuff. So when I say Martha, it's, it's Martha. So as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That's very interesting. Don't miss that where Mary was, and you're going to discover where Martha was. But Martha was distracted. Someone say distracted. By all the preparations that had to be made. Now listen, was making preparations wrong? Was being in the kitchen wrong? No. Preparations had to be made. Jesus was coming for a meal. Jesus was coming for fellowship. There's nothing wrong with, with making the meal. I'm sure there was a plan for both of them to share, to, to share responsibilities for the meal. Maybe one was doing the main course. Maybe one was doing dessert. I don't know what, what, what was arranged, but I'm sure that there was a plan. But when Jesus shows up, one's in the kitchen, one's not. Martha was distracted. Martha's upset. There's, some, there's a family squabble. There's family dynamics going on here. There's a problem with the two sisters. There's a squabble. And she came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, lays the guilt trip. I love when they lay the guilt trip. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Watch this. She goes a step further. Tell her to help me. She didn't even say please. Tell her to help me. She's upset. She's complaining. Standing up, approaching Jesus. Don't you see what's happening here? Now listen, when someone has to say your name twice, typically means you're going to hear something you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And Jesus responds, Martha, Martha. How you doing? <laughs> he didn't say that. He says, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. What is better? Here's what Mary chose. She chose to be at his feet. She chose to be in the only place that she knows to be when she's in the presence of Jesus, at his feet. And Jesus says this, Mary has chosen what is better. 
And watch this. Here comes a statement of authority. And it will not be taken away from her. Jesus says, no one has ever snatched anyone from my father's hands. And when you choose to fight through everything you can in life, no matter what obstacles get thrown at you, and you find yourself in this one place at the feet of Jesus, I'm telling you today, it will not be taken away from you. And that's the best place that you can find yourself, is at his feet. Mary is where we should all be. And when it comes to your pursuit of Jesus and finding yourself at his feet, worshiping, adoring, praying to him, let me ask you this. What are some of the distractions in your life that keep you from doing that? Think about that. I want you to pray about that. I was going to have you break into groups, but you see, that's uncomfortable. We won't do that. What Martha, again, was doing wasn't wrong. Preparations and cooking the meal was important, but was it better? See, wisdom, you may want to write this down, from the Holy Spirit helps us choose the God choice over the good choice. Wisdom from the Holy Spirit helps us choose the God choice over the good choice. It's not a matter of right or wrong in this issue. It's a teaching moment. It's a matter of what's better. Now, in summary, there's two critical lessons to be learned here. One, eliminate the distractions in your life, even though they are good choices. So you can choose the better that God has ordained for you. Choose the better. Out of all the things you do for God, go to church, serve, Bible studies, mission trips. Never miss the best thing you can do, and that is to worship and adore the king at his feet. At his feet. Spending time in his presence. Being still, like it says in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that he is God. Letting him speak to you. Listening to his voice. Growing your relationship with him, which again is the purpose of prayer. Letting him speak to you. Sometimes you may never hear the voice of God until you stop talking, stop praying and say, Lord, is there anything you want to tell me? And you just sit down. I always picture myself just sitting in his lap. I say, okay, daddy. Okay, Abba Father. I'm listening. You know, God will reveal miraculous things in your life if you let him. Isaiah 42.9 says, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. God announces things to you before they happen at times. That's relationship. And that's what God wants from us. You know why? Because he loves us. He loves us. Well, go to John 11. Let's pick up this family dynamic. Let's pick up another story. There was a brother. His name is Lazarus. He's the brother of Martha and Mary. It says he was from Bethany, the village of of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So it's not only Mary, we find that she's at his feet, but we're talking about probably all the money she had spent on this perfume that she's pouring out on his feet and wiping it off with her hair. Do you see that picture of adoration? Do you see that devotion? Do do you see the, the reverence? Do you see her acknowledgement of holiness in her presence? Because, Because to picture Jesus is to picture holiness. 
And when you're in the presence of holiness, you don't address holiness like this. You address holiness like this. That's how you address holiness. The one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, the one you love is sick. He loved them. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. I love that. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus, I love this. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Didn't show up when he was called for. Didn't show up when he was prayed for. And that's just the story of life. Let's see if we can dig into the story a bit and see what's really going on. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. See, when the Bible says he loved them, that lends the idea, and the Bible doesn't say, because it only adds one account before this, that he had dinner with them, but it adds the idea that Jesus spent many nights with them, that there were many occasions that Jesus spent with them. It just wasn't one occasion where Jesus walks in and there's this squabble the moment he walks in. Jesus loved them, and they knew it. How else would they know it and could all say, and that everyone else would say, that he loved them and that they acknowledged that he loved them without spending significant time with this family? Many nights. And there's the realization of who Jesus is with Mary. She obviously realizes who he is. Yet in verse 6, Jesus stays back even though he loves them. He didn't show up. When he heard this in verse four, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death, but watch this. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. If you want to add a statement and declare things when you're praying so that you can build up your prayer arsenal Start praying that. Now it is for your glory that your son may be glorified through answering this prayer. You watch and see what God will do with your prayer life. I think the lesson here is simply this. Don't pray for the obvious. Pray for the miraculous. Never pray for the normal. Always pray for the miraculous. Have you ever found out that God always answers in a so much more powerful, mind-blowing way than what you're praying for anyway? Second, when you pray, add this to your prayer request. Father, it is for your glory that your son Jesus Christ will be glorified by answering this prayer. I'm telling you, God will blow your mind when you start praying. You see, it's motive. That's the motive. That's a great motive, by the way. And why is motive important? You see, if your motive is, no matter what I'm praying for, It is for your glory that your son would be glorified through answering this prayer. Why is that? See, James says, you have not because you ask not, because you ask with the wrong motive. So if you want to take care of what your motive is, always make sure that God gets the glory, God gets glorified, so that when how, doesn't matter how, doesn't matter when, 
But when the prayer gets answered, that people may know that it was Jesus Christ who answered that prayer and that he's a faithful God. Let's pick up the text. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I love how he calls things differently. Lazarus, in their eyes, died. Jesus says he's just asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, they didn't get it. Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had obviously been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And this just reminds me, it's a reminder for all of us this morning, God always sees things differently than how we see them. Which is another prayer that you can pray and add to your prayer arsenal. God, help me see things through your eyes. Help me see things in your world. Would you expand my mind and my brain and what's going on around me so that I can see not only in this world, but in heaven's world, in the spiritual world around me? You ever pray that? God is faithful to show you things. So then he told them plainly, you just had to, you know, sometimes you just got to tell them straight up, Lazarus, he's dead. He's just dead. And for your sake, watch this. I'm glad I was not there. (laughs) Just think about the words there. Lazarus is dead and I'm glad I wasn't there. Your friend died and I'm glad I wasn't there. Lazarus is dead and I'm glad. Think about that statement. But watch this, what he says next. I'm glad I was not there, watch this, so that you may believe. I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Now, if we're making a list of reasons why God delays in answering prayer, here's two obvious ones that we can find in this story. One, again, that we've been talking about because I want to drill it into your, into your everything that you are this morning so that the Father would get the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, being glorified through the answer of prayer. And the second one is this, so that we may believe so that God would stretch our faith, so that we may believe. God may make you wait so that you may believe. God may put the delay on so that you may believe. God may not answer right away. God may put them in bowls right away so that you may believe. So that you can pray with faith. So that you can pray like the centurion. Just say the word. And whatever I'm praying for will be done. This person I'm praying for will be healed. Scripture goes on to say, on his arrival, Jesus found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Watch this. This is really, really interesting. I don't want you to miss the dynamic here. Martha heard Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And Martha comes out in the same way that she came out with him at her home. She's coming out in the same way that she's coming out to him from the kitchen. In this situation with her brother, she's coming out saying, Lord, where were you when I needed you? And she comes out standing up complaining. Where were you when I needed you? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I, but what's, and, and it's, she's wailing and she's upset. She's complaining just like she was in the house. 
But let's give Martha some credit. Even in her complaining, even in her approaching Jesus and calling him and trying to call him out, not understanding the full situation, she does make a statement of faith. And I give her credit for that. She says, but I know that even now, God will give you what you ask. The statement of faith. In other words, where were you when I needed you? Didn't you hear us? We sent word. My brother's dead because you weren't here. And, and you know, I can sort of understand this coming from the sister who gets easily distracted and misses the good things as opposed to the better and the God thing. But sort of after the, the codependent guilt trip or whatever you want to call it, she does respond with that statement of faith because she knew that nothing was impossible for God. That's the one thing she knew. And she goes, but I know that even now God will give you what you ask. And when your prayers are delayed, here's something to add to your prayer arsenal. Pray what, pray what Martha prayed to Jesus. But I know that even now God will give you what you ask. I know that even now, in the midst of all the disappointments, in the midst of all the setbacks, in the midst of all, all the rejections, in the midst of everything gone wrong, relapses, whatever the case, I know that even now, God will give you what you ask. Because there's resurrection power in your son, Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Well, Jesus is always praying for us. He's interceding for us. And that declaration of faith pleases God because the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And when we pray with that type of faith, but I know God, I can't see it. I can't visualize it, but I know now God that my father will give you what you ask. Let's pick up the story. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And the defeatist Christian always says, well, there's, I'll receive it when I get to heaven. But Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? COS, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. Jesus said, now go get your sister. I want to speak to your sister. Let's pick it up in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, same thing, same exact words. So there must have been a conversation. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, same words. But watch this, different than her sister. You see, Mary comes out in the same way that she came out when Jesus came to her home. Martha comes out standing. 
Mary comes out kneeling because anytime she's in the presence of Jesus, she comes kneeling. She's at his feet again. And I don't know if you can see this, but Mary's not wailing, screaming, and crying at him. Mary, even though it's the same words as Martha, is wailing and screaming and crying in front of him, at his feet, down low, with her head bowed down before her king. Where were you when I needed you? If only you had shown up when I called for you, my brother would be alive. She did it in reverence. And when she did it in reverence, when she did it in sorrow, scripture says when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And Jesus says, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. I imagine in tears. And then these two words, scripture records, Jesus wept. These two words, Jesus wept, may very well be the two most needed words we need to hear in the Bible. We see the humanity, the compassion, the love of Jesus in these two words. Then the Jews said, see, see how he loved them. But some of them grumbling said, could he not? Could not he open the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus totally disregards it. Once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And Jesus says with authority, take away the stone. Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. For he has been there four days. Bad odor. I think the King James says he stinketh. He just stinketh for four days. But then Jesus says this. He's not having any of it. He just responds because he's the king. Did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and prayed this prayer. Father, I thank you that you heard me. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. That's the whole be glorified, God be glorified through Jesus Christ in a nutshell right there. So that we may believe and please God with our faith. I would encourage you to add that to your prayer arsenal whenever you pray. I started praying that years ago, Father, in front of people. I, I prayed in front of people for a reason. Father, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. And I thank you because you hear our prayers, not just for me, but for everyone around me, so that they may believe. I want to challenge you, Father, to pray that prayer. Thank you that you always hear me when I pray. Thank you. Watch this. 
When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. I said, the dead man came out. He came out. Now listen, I don't know what the last word or the last thought on Lazarus' lips before he died, what he said, what he thought about. I imagine it was Jesus. But I can tell you who he heard first before he woke up again. And that was the voice of Jesus. Lazarus, come out. That's Jesus. He's coming out. A dead man out of a grave. Can you imagine? The dead man came out. Now watch this. He doesn't come out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. He's a mummy. In other words, he came out, but he's still in bondage. He came out, but he's still in bondage. And Jesus said to, him, to them. Now, I don't know who them is. Now, I could be wrong on this. But I imagine that he might have been talking to people there. But I also believe that he was putting Satan on notice. When he said this, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Because if Jesus is going to raise you from the dead, he's going to take off. He's going to make sure your old grave clothes are going to come off because you don't need them anymore. And there's no reason to stay in bondage if God calls you back from the dead. The devil makes it his business to keep Christians in bondage. Yeah, we're going to go in a different direction here. Bound and gagged, actually imprisoned by their own graves. That's what A.W. Tozer said. Unfortunately, most Christians will never take off their grave clothes and live their entire lives in these rotting, smelly clothes that represent the deadness and corruption of our old lives, our old sin nature. We've been made alive in Christ. We've been resurrected from the dead if we've received Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to come out from the grave and take the grave clothes off. He's provided through us to finish work on the cross, a set of new clothes labeled righteousness and holiness that are glorious, pure, beautiful, that reflect the very heart of God. Which clothes are you going to put on today? I want to challenge you. Take your grave clothes off. God's not honored by our arrested development. Listen, the Bible teaches us that we're to go on to full maturity, that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we're to walk in victory, that we're to pull down strongholds. We're not to live mediocre lives. The word mediocre comes from two Latin words, which mean halfway to peak, and you can't be a baby all your life. When you're born again, there's a limitless potential of what it means to walk with Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection. That's what the apostle Paul said. But first, you've got to take off your grave clothes. You've got to step into what God has called you into doing. Listen, you never arrive. 
You never get there. You never get to a place and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in a really, really, really good place. You see, you're either running to the cross or you're running from the cross. You're never idle because an idle mind is a devil's workshop. And being idle means you're just going further and further and further away from Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. You always have to be pursuing Jesus Christ. You have to pant for him. You got to go after him with everything that you've got because he has gone after you and loved you and pursued you and still does every single single day of your life with everything that he's got. And he wants us to run after him the same way, to press into God, to press into his presence, to hear his voice, to experience the miraculous. I mean, think about this. What could your life look like if you lived a life experiencing the miraculous and your life would decrease so his life can increase, and your prayers get answered, and you see signs, wonders. You pray for someone, and they, and they get sick, and they get healed. You pray for someone that's not going to make it through the night, and they make it through the night by the glory of God. What would your life look like? Are you the person that, God's go- that we're going to call if someone is sick, and they're not going to make it through the night? I'm going to call a Palmer because she's been raised from the dead, I mean, that's what, that's what I'm going to call. I mean, she was, I mean, they, played, they had her on a ventilator for almost three months. They said, see you later. But God said, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Get up out of that grave. She came running out of that grave, just like many of us. God, do what you want in this life. Listen, here's what the grave clothes represent. They represent the mediocrity in our lives. Why would you want to continue wearing these grave clothes? If God has called you somebody new and, give you, and given you a new attire, why would you want to live another moment? Here's what they represent. Here's what they are. They stink, they're rotting, they're polluted, and they're the apparel of the spiritually dead, but you've been called spiritually alive. Grave clothes must come off. Grave clothes represents the things we used to do when we were spiritually dead. They represent the addictions and the worldly things we hold on to, strongholds. They represent past pain, un- unresolved hurts, issues, shame, guilt, regrets, old patterns of thinking, worldly habits, our limited beliefs in God, what God can do. You know what the problem with grave clothes are? Worship team, you can come on up, please. Is we get comfortable with them. We like wearing the old clothes. They're comfortable to put on. New clothes. Listen, there's a dress code for the holy place of prayer. No grave clothes allowed. No grave clothes allowed. I want to declare today, this morning, at COS, Satan, take off your grave clothes off my loved ones and let them go. Let them go. God is calling you, even in your storm of addiction, that you can't beat, in afflictions you can't overcome, depression you can't escape, disappointments you can't get over, fears that you can't overpower, and weakness that you can't subdue. God's not waiting for you to get it all together. He's calling you out of the grave to put you back together, to raise you from the dead. 
I want to encourage you today to step out and walk towards Christ so that you can understand the keeping power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is you're holding on to, whatever it is that needs to die today, I want you to walk out of that grave and into his glorious light. And you'll see what God can do. See, when people get to a place in their life where the stronghold is too strong, the infliction is too deep, depression too dark, the disappointment's too great, it's at that place where you can hear the voice of Jesus. Son, daughter, come out of that grave. Walk towards me. And then he'll command whoever. Maybe he's telling you. Maybe he's telling the devil. Maybe he's telling those in your world. Take the grave clothes off. You won't need them anymore. So I've got new attire for you. And when you answer that call, you'll find yourself doing things that nobody but God can do for your life. The Holy Spirit will take you places that only God can take you. Today, just confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord. And for the first time, maybe for some, just say yes to what God's telling you to do. Just say yes to the call of God in your life. Just say yes to Jesus. I want to remind you today, God only raises dead people. And he can't raise something in your life until it dies. Will you lay it at his feet today? Whatever needs to die, a dream, a spouse, a child, a problem, a sickness, a mindset, there can never be a resurrection in your life until a death occurs. You see, and when this thing that has afflicted you came to you, you might find it odd to hear Jesus say, and I was glad when they said she was dead. I was glad when they said she was in a coma. Now, me and you can work. So we're going to open up the altar. And if you heard the voice of Jesus to call you to come out of that grave, I hope that you won't just walk to the altar. I hope you'll run. Because it's at this altar where the glorious light is. Whatever needs to die. Whatever you need to surrender to Jesus. And as we approach Jesus in any way, I want to challenge you this morning. Don't approach Jesus like Martha, standing up. There's only one way to approach Jesus. And that's at his feet. That's down low. It's saying, Jesus, thank you for being here. I need you. And talk to him. And whatever you need to, whatever you need him to resurrect, he'll do that for you. He'll do that for you this morning. Let him resurrect whatever it needs to be resurrected in your life. 
come now. Spend time at his feet. You won't be able to spend time at his feet if you stay back there in the kitchen. But up here is where the presence of God is. At his feet. God told my friend Jim Cimbala that if you teach my people where the action is and teach them how to pray all the time and how to seek me in prayer and seek my face and seek my hand seeking his face his relationship seeking his hand is his blessing he says you'll never have a building big enough to contain all the people I'll send to you I want God to bless us and I want God to bless you but before he can bless you there has to be a death so come now We've created space for you to be in God's presence. Any unanswered prayers, any old dreams that you stopped praying for, there a person in your life that you prayed for and they still don't know Jesus Christ, come to his feet, come to the altar now. Spend time with God. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and want to be resurrected, Today is your day. Today is the day of salvation. Today. And just pray this prayer out loud. Jesus, I've tried everything. And today I surrender it all to you. Today I died to myself. And I give you my sins. I give you my life. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Would you resurrect me today into a new person and welcome me into your family and your kingdom and give me the power to live that resurrected life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Spend time with God this morning. God wants to meet you here. I don't know if it was for this service or the first service, but God gave me a word of knowledge for the first service. And maybe it was for this service. The Holy Spirit whispered in my ear that there's someone here that's thinking about ending it. If that's you, I want to tell you today by the authority of Jesus Christ that he loves you. Spirit of death, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would run into God's glorious light and receive Jesus' love for you this morning. Where you'll be loved, where you've always been loved, and experience love like you've never experienced before. Come forward and spend time in His presence.
later on in the book of John, we pick up another story, another dinner with Lazarus and Jesus. And this time, Lazarus is sitting next to Jesus at this dinner. (laughs) I find this amazing. The Bible doesn't record the words of Lazarus, but it records the words of Jesus. And as I was reading that for this message, I wondered at that dinner party what people were asking Lazarus. When I get to heaven, I want to talk to Lazarus. What was it like to hear his voice in the grave, dead for days, gone, see ya, asleep, gone. We had the service, had the celebration of life service, already decaying. And then you hear, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. He came out of that grave and ran into the glorious light. I wonder what his testimony was. I wonder what your testimony was. I can tell you what my testimony is. I heard a voice when Carolyn introduced me to Jesus Christ that said, Bill Reeser, come out of that grave. And I came running and God has never let me down. He's a faithful God. The devil tried to take me out again. Had my knee replaced December 1st, and for two months, I couldn't see straight. December and January was a blur because I had a staph infection that almost killed me. I was in tremendous pain. But every day, I saw God's glorious light. Every day, I had joy. Every day, people were praying for me. I didn't get healed when I wanted to. And God spoke to me and said, I see that you're in pain, and I'm going to heal you. But I needed you to realize what that pain feels like because I'm going to send people to you in pain that you're going to pray for and they're going to be delivered from pain. And today I stand before you (laughs) healed in Jesus' name because God's a good God. And for that, and whenever someone comes running out of that grave, you know what that is? A celebration. We celebrate. When someone comes to Christ, if you prayed a prayer to receive Jesus Christ, I want to know about it today. Come talk to me. But for now, we're going to celebrate. Can you guys help us celebrate? Can you do that? Come on now. Come on. You are able and let us lift our voices and celebrate the amazing life that we are given by the amazing gift of Jesus. Amen? Sing it. Here we go. Sing it loud. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing 
possible for our God. Amen. Amen. Listen, whatever prayers you need, uh, people stay for prayer. 
Uh, we're going to need you to get your children as we dismiss. But don't forget, there's going to be a glorious baptism, okay, with Neil's baby girl. Now, listen, baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. It represents, listen, when you go into the water, there's a death, there's a burial. When you come out, there's what? A resurrection. A resurrection. We celebrate resurrections today. We don't wait for Easter. We celebrate resurrections every day with Jesus Christ. Every day. Every day. So listen, water's warm. If a pool is here, doesn't have to be just Neil's baby girl. Don't care what your clothes wearing. I don't care what the weather is. Grave clothes got to come off. You made a decision to accept Jesus Christ. The Bible says, then be baptized. It's the very next thing you're supposed to do. I'll wait. I'll wait. Do it. Thank you for joining us this morning. God bless you. Father, thank you for raising us from the dead. I thank you that you only see dead people. And you love raising us from the dead. Thank you for being glad when we die so that you can raise us from dead things just like you did today, just like you did for Lazarus, just like you did for your son, Jesus Christ, and just like you do in baptism. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to-